My name's Mel Herbert, and he's Tom Wolfson. We're going to be talking about the cars, the batteries, the solar panel, the stock price, the man, the myth. We're going to be talking about everything Tesla. Why? Because we're... Talking. 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 Talking Tesla. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's Talking Tesla 41. I'm here with Tom. Hi, Tom. No, you're Tom. Oh, oh, hi, Mel and Robert. And that's Robert. Do you <laughs> know your name? Hi, Mel and Tom. <laughs> hi, America and talking. Should Tesla. we should we edit that out and start again? No, no, because I have to edit it. It's not going to happen. I did we that don't, on we don't have enough digitized equipment to do that. We're going to do something very different on this talking Tesla. We're going to shorten it back down to where we were before, around who knows thirty minutes. We hope <laughs> that the people are crying. We're going to do an interview with some Canadians who are. Pulling an X and a thing, a camper van across the country. Wow, we're going to have that in there. Good level of detail there. Buddy. But also we're going to give you what is the most spectacular podcast in all of human history called Shabam. And it's all about electricity and it teaches science. And I'll tell you more about it at the end. But it's exciting, Tom. And it's not all, not at all about cross-promotion. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Why are you looking at me like at that? It has nothing at all to do with, with just – well, I mean, I guess – there's no money in any of this. That's so right, cross promotion, what does that mean? Yeah, it means nothing. Conflict of interest, not. Like, that's like no, if I'm wearing nothing. Nike socks and Adidas shoes, uh, neither one of them are going to give a crap. That's right. <laughs> well, I did listen all the way through to episode five of Shazam, and I have to say independently. Or Shabam. I, Mel, I mean, whatever. It's awesome. It's a really great ride. My Thank wife's you. like saying, when's the next one coming? And I, I, she thinks I have inside knowledge because I'm here at the studio once a week, yeah. but I don't know anything. It's coming in many money months. It's, it's hard to, come to produce. Out. It's supposed to come out every month, but it takes so much <laughs> effing time. It comes out whatever the hell it gets done. Also, it's it's called Shabam. It's called Shabam. Not, Not Shazam. Shazam. Shazam was a movie by Shaq, I think, back in the 80s. It was, yeah. And it was horrible. Also, there was a TV show, I believe, in the 70s with a guy who drove around in an RV. That's and right. he would say, Shazam! Shazam! Who was that guy? Yeah, but he was, was Shazam. Also Gomer I think. Pyle. Gomer Pyle was who really Shazam. Shazam. He was the one was who that the one? popularized Shazam. Yeah. Yeah, he was Mayberry much bigger RFD. than the guy in the R in the RV. Who was? Wasn't that Captain in, um, Underpants? What was his name? I think he was called Shazam. I believe I that was actually his name. I'm agreed by Gomer Pyle. <laughs> agree to disagree. Look, um, we've got to start off, and we have to talk about the first autopilot death. Very sad story. Josh Brown in May in Florida is the first uh, fatality of somebody who was in autopilot and crashed and died. 130 million miles have been driven on autopilot. This is the first death. What happened, we believe, it's being investigated by the NTA, NSA, the... NTSB. NTSB. Transportation Safety Board. It seems that he was very distracted. He was driving quite quickly. Um, The reports are that he was actually watching a Harry Potter movie. That was the report from the driver of the big rig. And they found a DVD player in the front there. Um, And then this uh, truck sort of turns in front with a trailer, and it's white against a white background. Uh, Mr. Brown obviously didn't see it. The Tesla autopilot didn't see it. He crashed into it, and he was probably instantly killed. The car continued on. And so this is uh, what we've all been concerned about for a number of reasons. Somebody died here, and uh, this happens, unfortunately, 90 times every day in the U.S., um, and it's also a failure of the autopilot system, which has been a big concern because we knew as soon as this happens, everybody's going to say, see, um, you know, driverless vehicles are bad. But let's just remember that this is not supposed to be a driverless vehicle. This is level two. This is basically like cruise control, and it shouldn't be used in a distracted manner. And so comments, thoughts, 
I've got many of them myself. I'm concerned because, uh, number one, uh, this is a, a guy who was a great supporter and uh, advocate for the Tesla community, and it is a great loss. Anybody who dies, you know, who's a vibrant person who's doing really good things, is uh, it's really sad. And And I only wish that the press didn't sort of you uh, you know bastardize this man's loss for you know clicks online because I just see I get Google alerts on Tesla news and this week has just been crazy from every corner of the planet. I mean, if there was a newspaper in Antarctica, I, I would have heard from them. And um, the reality is, autopilot does increase safety. It has an amazing potential. We knew this was going to happen for ages. And yes, some people are pushing the limits. And it's unfortunate. I don't know if he's watching a video or not. The truck driver obviously has some bias in that report, though he may be the most truthful man on the planet. But the reality is that um, this guy helped to publicize and to show how cool this new technology is. And, And I'm really sad that he's dead. And at the same time, um, you know, I think that we need to move on because it's not a fault of autopilot so much as a fault of the system and how we sort of just use this for promotion. Thomas? It is not the fault of autopilot for sure. It may be the fault of autopilot just being put out too soon. It may be the fault of that, that partial autonomy and sort of... I wouldn't necessarily call it a lack of education on Tesla's part because they've definitely pushed it. I'm assuming when you pick up a car with autopilot, they're very clear about how they go over it with you and stuff like that. But we know people are going to abuse stuff like this. I I don't know if one simple piece of more high-reading radar or a high-reading piece of camera that could have seen it would have stopped it from going under the best thing obviously would have been if he would have stopped his car and kept it from going under. So, yeah, it's not a failure of autopilot. It's a failure of a lot of things. Like if the truck had autopilot, for instance, right, and the two of them were talking to each other, then we wouldn't have seen this, right? So it's not a technological failure so much as it's just a – it may be a little too soon failure. Yeah, this a, brings up many, many things to me. And so one is to remember that this is not – you know, an autonomous vehicle. This is not an autonomous vehicle, and I, we need to say it a thousand times. If you have autopilot in your car, do not be distracted. It is not there to do that. It is there to help you. It is there to aid in your driving. It is not yeah. to drive you. And I've, and again, Tesla can say it until they're blue in the face, and they will, and they'll say it more. But we have to keep saying it. Everybody has to keep saying it. You should not be distracted when you're using this. Now, I haven't used it a lot. I have it in the X. Yeah. But it is not, by no means perfect. This shows it again. This could be an aid that will reduce your chance of getting into an accident. But if you rely on it 100% and get distracted, it is not autonomous driving. Please do not do that. Do you think it's a failure of the way it was named on some levels? Like if they wouldn't call it autopilot, if they would have called it advanced cruise control or or something similar to that, right? Because we all know autopilot from – Airplanes, Planes, yes, right, and we never see the pilot walking around when the autopilot is engaged. You know, there's always another person in the cockpit with him. In in every case, even little tiny commercial aircraft that that use autopilot, basically for when they get up to thirty thousand feet, or 
you know, like they're not taking off and landing well, with it. So, except in the movie Airplane, yeah, an different. auto pilot <laughs> yeah. after a little bit of uh, intervention to get him up and running. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. So, let this be a reminder. First of all, that autopilot is not auto driving, and I agree with you. I think it's a bad name. It should have been enhanced something. Enhanced um, control assist or something. I also want us to remember that we can't let this derail um, one of the biggest public health problems in the United States. And one of the biggest public health problems in the United States is human beings driving cars. Every year, over 30,000 people are killed on the roads in the U.S. Um, we freak out about ISIS. We'll invade countries because we're afraid of terrorism. But the number of people killed in the U.S. by terrorists is one one-thousandth of the number of people that are killed by other people and by themselves because cars are intrinsically incredibly dangerous. And anything we can do to move to reduce that death toll often are very young, healthy, vibrant, tax-paying, good people we should implement. And I believe, and everybody who knows the science, believes that these technologies will reduce your chance of having an accident if you use it correctly. But again, this is not, this is not auto driving. This is an assist. It is an assist device. And you should be watching the road at all times. Right. And and to your point about it will reduce, right? Theoretically, this was a reduction because 130 million miles of autopilot were driven, and the average death happens after 94 million miles. So that's a significant, that's 33% more miles driven before a fatality. Again, not to minimize one person's death, because we, we, we're not doing that on this show, for sure. And it's a tough way to start what's usually a pretty lighthearted show, yeah. and we get that. But it's important, and we wanted to talk about it. And to put it into perspective, if you drive an average of 12, or if you figure that people drive an average of 12,500 miles a year, that's one death per 10,833 people driving completely autonomous for that entire 12,500 miles. I mean, it's a huge, uh, a huge, uh, it's like people are asking me, well, when you get in your Tesla, are you afraid you're going to die? And I look at them like, what are you talking about? Let's be sober about this. Yeah. Let's if, be sober. If somebody said that to me, I'd say, absolutely, I'm worried about I'm going to die because this is the mo- one of the most dangerous things I'm going to do is drive a car. Yeah. I'm actually much less concerned I'm going to die in my Tesla yeah. than I am in just about any other car on the road. And right? in any other autopilot accident, more than likely, if this guy doesn't happen to go underneath this big rig and he hits a tire, right, chances are – he doesn't die because it is such a safe car, right. right? It does. It has exceeded all the crash safety ratings. It was just the perfect storm of multiple things happening all at once. So, so right. though some of the good stuff that's come out of this, because I agree, my Google alert blew up. It's, everybody's talking about this. To get clicks, you have to say autopilot killed somebody, and, and that's all crap. Um, but this has raised the issue again, which is a technical issue. Um, for full autonomy, what are we going to need and it's back to the Google people saying, we think that you're going to need LiDAR. What's it called? LiDAR? LiDAR. You really need that sort of technology in order to really reduce the number of accidents because using optical-based um, systems, which is what Elon is saying we can mostly use just optical-based systems, is not good enough. And we'll let the smart people argue about that. Um, but it is a reminder that what you have right now in the Tesla is not enough to do level four auto driving. 
And they've said that all along, that they're planning another suite of sensors. And we've reported on various, you know, little gizmos strapped onto Teslas. Maybe they're Tesla, maybe they're uh, aftermarket or some subcontractor. But the bottom line is, is they're planning a more advanced system. And this whole thing is moving forward at a lightning pace. So let's move on from that very sad story, and we'll talk about EV car sales. So this is from Clean Technica. It's from uh, first quarter 2016. 180,000 uh, plug-in or fully electric cars were sold, which is up 42% over last year. Bravo. The top dog is China, of course, because they have uh, the single biggest uh, population in the planet, and then Europe, and then the US, and then Japan. And it has been noted, though, that... Uh, to meet the sort of U.S. emission guidelines that they're trying to push for by 2020, there's going to have to be an even more substantial increase in EV sales. So for the first half of this year, I just was sort of interested in passing out what the numbers were. There were 12,000 Model S's sold, 7,000 X's, 10,000 volts, 7,000 Ford Fusions, and 6,000 Leafs. And a partridge in a pear tree. Those are not electric. <laughs> and, but that's actually, when you look at those numbers, that uh, the X and the S are way behind yeah. the sort of the 100,000 that they're supposed to do this year. Although another report has suggested that they're now up to over 2,000 cars per week, or they're up to 2,400 cars a week coming off that production line. So looking at this chart was interesting. One thing that stuck out to me is what the hell happened in April? Mm. What was going? What, what happened in April? Right? Was that the Model Three unveiling? Yeah, the, it seemed like everything dropped. Like Leaf got killed, IBM got killed. Their but sales not, disappeared. But yeah, not as much percentage wise as Tesla. Like so, for instance, the Model S, according to this chart, in March sold thirty nine hundred and ninety units, and in April down to eighteen. Maybe that, there's maybe there's a, a car salesperson out there. It's like. Um, Maybe that's just traditionally the month of the year don't yeah. sell cars. Maybe it's a seasonal thing. These are not seasonally adjusted. These are raw numbers. But the volt drop, you know, went up 100 units or so. So, like, to me, that that was the sort of interesting take-home point. The other really interesting take-home point is if Elon hits his – if Tesla, not just Elon, hits their build and sales requirements for the Model 3, they are going to absolutely demolish this chart. Right, because the highest selling car on this chart is is what? How many units a month? Thirty seven hundred. That's the Model S. So theoretically, we're looking at thirty thousand units, twenty five thousand units a month. Like no car. Well, the Bolt is going to come online as well. I think that might get promoted yeah. up. I know. I think that um, the level, the Model Three, has been so successful in its pre launch that it's actually sucking the air out a bit. Of this, like somebody like me, yeah. I'm like. I'm not considering getting my X because I'm like, I'll just get a three. It'll be cheaper and it's just a year or two away. So I bet you there's a whole bunch of people who are like, I was going to get the, thinking about getting an S or another electric car, but I'm going to wait and see what this Model 3 thing's all about. Yeah. A lot of people have said that. But the interesting and fascinating point about this is if you look at the 2015 chart all the way through, all plugins combined weren't, never got to 14,000 units in a month. So... The Model 3 will have to beat that whole thing combined. So there's like this it, it, this pent-up market for a car that just doesn't exist. Right. And now there people are like, oh, it exists. Like this was the tipping point automobile of technology and, and stuff like that. If you look at the various groups online for Tesla Model 3, they're enormous. Like on the TMC 
website. There's also like a Facebook page for the Model 3. There are a lot of people and very enthusiastic. But what I was going to say about April is that, you know, there is one thing in April that takes a lot of money. What you have, what you owe the internal revenue service, internal revenue service. Or should I say the U.S. Treasury? I I don't pay tax. Should I say that? No, you shouldn't. I pay uh, a lot of taxes, all of my taxes, fairly sometimes. I even pay a little extra. Thank you, IRS. I I own three cruise missiles. (laughs) They've all been blown up in Baghdad, but, you know, I own them. Uh, They didn't use cruise missiles in Baghdad. Let's do Model 3 then. So this is from where? Electric. Oh, gosh. Electric. I love it. Just like everybody's just been on pins and needles waiting for you to make an electric story. Electric. That website should never go away. <laughs> no, no. no. Um, so they have some pictures of a sweet, really sweet looking Model Three, which so is cool. silver at Fremont. And I uh, so I love these prototype sightings, but this one in particular looks incredible, almost like chrome like as yes. opposed to silver. It's not Toyota silver. It's like Hot Wheels chrome. It looks like the Speed Racer vehicle yeah. that Speed Racer wish he awesome. had. We have a picture of it right here yeah. and, and next to Robert's Speed Racer. It's um so <laughs> we're supposedly a year away from the first sales of the Model 3. We're at the yeah. penciled down des- design phase. We're learning some more about this as we go. So we know that the the drive has an inverter. A 300-kilowatt inverter on it, which means that it's going to be able to pump juice across those motors at about the same rate as a Model S. Yeah. So it's going to be a wicked fast car in theory. <laughs> what which are you is, from? All of a sudden, he's from Boston. <laughs> wicked That's fast. wicked fast, ma. <laughs> and uh, I just found this interesting <laughs> reading this article that uh, they actually have been using a lot of off-the-shelf motor technology and uh, drive inverter technology. Yeah. Now they're going to start building it themselves because they believe they can do it better, faster, cheaper. My summary is I want that car. Yeah. Right now. Well, you're going to have to give up golf. No. <laughs> you <laughs> because, might. Because so, I can't fit my clubs in? I'm going by myself, Tom. You can't come. So that that's an interesting point. So today, when I was looking through this, but you know, in preparation for the show, this Model 3 Silver prototype article has a couple of photos in the comments about the trunk. Now, apparently I'm not a detail-oriented person because I've seen this car. You brought in the drawing of the car. I assumed it's a Mini S. It's got that big, giant hatchback where you can fold down the the back seats and have access to all this cargo area. It doesn't. That made me sad, actually. It kind of bummed me out. Have you seen this, Herbert? No, I didn't. I'm the same as you. I'm like, not detailer. (laughs) I assumed they took an S and shrunk it down. That is not the case. So show them the picture. So if you go to the, the, uh, the comments section... You can see right there, it has like a normal small sedan uh, trunk. Yeah, that's how they made right. it five people comfortably it's, by taking out some uh, cargo. It's got a small trunk, although when you fold the rear seat down, you will be able to put in things like a bicycle, right? which is very important to me. And it's going to be able to store a lot of equipment, although it is not a Model S. It is considerably yeah. smaller. But it, I think it would feel less smaller if they brought that hatchback. And yeah. I, what do you think it's the about roof. the that. roof is limiting this because they're putting a big piece of glass. I think it mer- it, it it merges in the center, but it it stretches all the way frontward and backward on all of them. There's no paint them. option. That's correct. That's on all of them. Remember, they're trying to streamline this whole thing. Yeah. And they're trying to simplify the production process. And so that glass is what limits the trunk opening. So the 2018 Model 3 with the painted roof and the hatchback option 
can I get that one? <laughs> like, you know, the, I don't know. I think that's a big, I think this is actually a much bigger deal, and I'm sorry that it's taken me so long to notice it, but it's a big deal. For me, It's it, it does sort of change it. Now, now that this is sort of your epiphany moment, right? You like the big hatch. Yeah. You want the small car. Yeah. Where are you Where are you right now just on an emotional level, Mel? Um, I'll still take the Model 3 because this is the little car that it's zippy that it's going to drive me around and then I'll have an X for big things. So I'm not worried about this. They okay. can fold the chairs down. Because you can worried. own two. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> I want to know how big the frunk is because uh, that's important too. Is that going to be not tiny? Is it going to be big? Smaller. I mean, smaller um, than the S. Smaller than the S, I assume. But here's one of the things that's sort of an aside. So, yes, it's going to have less carriage space. But this panoramic um, window thing I need to discuss. Because now we've had the X for a while. Yeah. That thing is beautiful. That panoramic windshield is unbelievable. You can see things that are so great. But it is hotter than a hamster's buttocks in the middle of summer. And that, my friends is scientifically proven to be very hot. <laughs> very hot. <laughs> and so we got an email as did... Buttocks? A hamster's buttocks. A hamster's, hamster's buttocks. buttocks. That's a thing. That's it's an thing. actual thing. Would that be like a hamster on a wheel hamster? Could be. Okay. Extra hot. But they sent us and all the other Model X owners um, this little thing saying, um, we're sending you at no charge in a few weeks this big giant um, curtain that they you did? Can they clip up there you? yeah, oh, to everybody because so many people have complained Ooh, hello. that um, it's too hot. And so they're making this thing and it looks good. It's a, a mesh thing that fits perfectly up into that thing, goes down to about where a normal windshield would go. Uh-huh. And you pop that thing in there because I've been looking for aftermarket yeah. stuff to put on there that I'm sticking up there because it's too hot on my little Apparently head. so has Tesla. Yeah. So, <laughs> but they don't have to worry about that to all the drivers in Scandinavia and northern right. Germany and, uh, and we've Pennsylvania. Just, we've heard from some Canadians that you'll heard later in the show that are going across Canada yeah. and they love it. They like they're driving through the mountains. Mm-hmm. There's panoramic views. Just saying, Model 3, Yeah, very excited about it. Not yeah. very good at uh, detail, nor is Tom. The trunk, not as big as I'd hoped. Robert's over there just smiling from ear to ear, just like, I knew it had a small trunk the whole time. Oh. No, well, so here, here's the question. Who is this car for? Is this car really for you, Tom? Is it really for you, Mel? You I guys want have, it to be. You have drunk the Kool-Aid. You have sat in the X or the S. You have driven either one. You've enjoyed all of the fruits of that car. Would you step down? So, again, we have to revisit this question as more details emerge. I drive a RAV4 most of the time. Let's not call it a step down. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I I personally love my RAV4. The only thing it's missing is another 120 miles of range. And, and some supercharging. <laughs> <laughs> Those two things get solved. Then it would be called an X, and it would be twice as much. <laughs> but even the form factor, I like it better because it has you know a lot more storage. It's pretty big. It's got oh, that folding big, seats, big folding seats, mm. the wide opening. But that's coming, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. The reason that the Model S looks the way it is to have an incredibly low. Um, uh, What do they call that? Drag coefficient. Drag coefficient, exactly. Thank you, Mel. So the reason it has all of these features, the the door handles, which are like $1,000 a piece, all this expense was made so that they could stretch that original car with that original battery to 250 miles. That was the holy grail. Now- they're improving the battery technology. They've redesigned the batteries. The batteries are now actually going to change. Their form factor is getting larger. Yeah. They're going to hold more energy. They're going to have more ability to discharge quickly. The technology is improving in such a way that they could build a boxy RAV4 with 300 miles of range. They could probably do that right now. 
And I'll so take it's one. all about bringing it's all about bringing the price down. <laughs> two hundred thousand dollars. Hey, do you still? No, want one? I don't. I don't. I don't want one for two hundred thousand dollars. Another thing I want to clarify about those uh, doors, about the uh, handles, the door handles. Yeah, you like them? Um, no. Why? Not the silver ones. I don't know if they come in any color but silver, but again, this is a California-Arizona problem. In the sun, my car outside on a 110-degree day, those handles get to approximately the temperature of the surface of the sun. <laughs> you know why? how they fix that? They built the X, and, and the door's open for you. Thank you. <laughs> if you touch that handle, the skin will be burnt off in an instant. Yeah, it gets very, very Very hot. warm. You have to have a pair of Tesla heat-proof gloves. Yeah, they oh, need to cool. fix that design. That's a serious design problem because they I've had multiple people easily. burn their hands on those things. By putting a little strip on the inside and just sort of not t- don't touch the outside. Although I bet if you did that now, once it opened, if you just didn't touch the outside with your thumb, you just kind of oh, opened it. I'm opening it wrong. Yeah, Steve yeah. Jobs says you're yeah. opening your car wrong. That's that's the problem. Good one, Herbert. I just need to walk up to the car and like open the door so I don't burn my hand and the door opens. Just push the button on your on your on your hatch and just go in through the back. I'm sure there's an incredibly expensive solution to this that involves small pumps and water and Elon could really engineer the crap out of that. Or they could just change the color of the thing. Some molecular What color wait, would you like? Something that reflects White? or absorbs or does something that the First silver off, the one do. right now is re- would reflect Reflect. That'd be would the reflect. most reflective, the okay. silver, right? Wrong. Change, Am I wrong about change that? It no, change it to wood. Change it to wood. Wood handle. Wood. Obeche. <laughs> wood wood handles wood. on the outside of a car. I'm just saying. You I know got what? solutions. I'm I mean, an they, idea guy. they do that on boats with crews and teak oil in their backpacks. Yeah. I want you to meet some new friends of the show, Rolf, Silka, and Kai. They're Canadians, and they're driving an X across the country. But why, you ask? Why? Together we are Tesla X Canada. We're crossing Canada in a Tesla Model X and we're towing a camping trailer at the same time, which we believe has never been done before. And with our trip, we want to promote sustainable energy and transportation. We left Victoria, BC from mile zero on June 11th. And we had a great send off there with lots of friends and EV enthusiasts. And we also gave two TV interviews, but probably the best thing was the electric car convoy to the ferry. Thanks so much, everybody. So many people ask us how we came up with this wild idea. As so many other people, we used to have a motorhome and we traveled extensively, but then we got our first electric car. And we got another electric car. And we didn't feel good anymore about traveling with a motorhome. And not to forget the solar panels on the house roof. Yep, we put solar panels on the roof. They allow us to drive our electric cars one and a half times around the world every year. But we still wanted to enjoy camping. Because it just didn't feel good anymore to drive a gas-powered motorhome. And then we happened to get one of the last invitations to the Model X launch in Fremont and we stood actually in the second row in front of the stage when they pulled the trailer onto the stage with the Model X and that was our aha moment that was our solution yeah since we already had a Model X on order and uh, we had planned on uh, going across Canada at some point it was on our bucket list but now we have this option to do it uh, with a camping trailer but we needed to find the p- perfect camping trailer first and finally found the trailer that we like, which is an Alto 1723 Safari Condo, which is streamlined, light, and for my wife it also has a toilet. 
I wanted a toilet and walls. I wanted to be safe in the middle of the night. We've been on the road for about three weeks now. We traveled from Victoria to Vancouver, um, to the interior, to Jasper National Park in Alberta. Then we went down to Lake Louise, Banff, and... Now no we're in Calgary and Red Deer. Well, we had no experience what it means to tow a trailer behind an electric car. Absolutely none. Uh, so we actually came up with this uh, range anxiety again a little bit. Well, anyway, so we did some experimenting and... Um, Some of the numbers we have is um, when we go about uh, 70 kilometers per hour, that's 44 miles per hour, we get a range of about 250 kilometers. Uh, that's 160 miles. Exactly. With And the camping trailer. With the camping trailer. With the camping trailer. So, needless to say, we enjoy traveling in the Tesla Model X immensely. We knew what to expect in some way because we have owned and still own the Model S. The things that we noted were, first of all, the really, really comfortable seats and also the huge, huge windscreen. That is um, such a beautiful feature. And well, the view is just stunning. I mean, imagine going through Jasper and Banff with the huge mountains and you can see it all. It's all in front of you. You're right in it. I love that. But there's one little complaint I have. My first world problem. When you tow a trailer, you don't get auto steer. Yeah, that's the one thing that we're actually missing. Or I should say that Rolf is missing because well, he's driving most of the time. I will be missing it. So far we were on pretty winding roads, but we're going to go through the prairies <coughs> where everything is straight. So um, a few words about the camping trailer. It's built by Safari Condo in Quebec. And it's a teardrop-shaped trailer with a retractable roof. That means once you move up the roof, the inside gets really, really big with huge windows on the side, which makes, which makes it really comfortable to live inside. It has a single bed, it has a king size, and then the usual, the stove, sink, and fridge. And it has my little washroom. It has a toilet. Yay! Well, of course, I had to prepare the trailer a little bit uh, for our trip. And so our first charging strategy is to charge in campgrounds. But if we charge in campgrounds, that means that the trailer has to be self-sustained. Um, so I installed 800-watt semi-flexible solar panels to run the trailer and lithium batteries. Well, we can charge the car even from the lithium-iron batteries off the trailer But, of course, that would take us a long time, so we can only use that in an emergency. Yeah, it's, a typical, it's, a, it's an emergency thing. It's just like a wall outlet. So, initially we thought this whole trip would take us about three months. Rolf believes we can still make it in three months. I'm not so sure anymore. <laughs> we want to go all the way to St. John's at the East Coast. And uh, on the way, we are going to meet with people. We're... Um, planning to show the car and the trailer at uh, car shows or whatever comes up and we're going to publish those events on Facebook. So we would love to hear from you. Send us your comments, ask us questions. You can go to our blog at teslaxcanada.com and from there you find the social media icons. With this trip we hope to reach many many people We want to inform and inspire, and maybe we can even convince a few people
people to switch to electric cars. Absolutely. Or solar panels, or maybe even both. Anything that's sustainable. So long from Calgary. Until next time, Rolf, Silke, and... So we'll be keeping up with Rolf and Silke and Kai, and already I've got a million questions. Like, how big is that battery backup they have in that trailer, and uh, how many kilowatt hours... How many miles do they get when they're doing a more reasonable speed, say 100 kilometers an hour or 60 miles an hour? What's the range then? There's so much to discuss. Very exciting. We'll talk to them every few weeks. Let's get moving. There's supposed to be a short show. <laughs> SpaceX. Okay, so SpaceX has been doing very well. It's been putting lots of stuff up there. But yeah. you remember about six months ago that they blew up uh, some NASA payload? <laughs> they, they didn't actually blow it up. It blew up. <laughs> yeah, I didn't do it on purpose. So they say. Um, so how do you keep your biggest um, customer happy when you start blowing their crap up? Here's what you do. <laughs> Alcohol. Uh, here's, here's what we're going to do. We're going to drop the launch fee for you by about a third. We're going to throw in a couple of free launches for you. Not lunches, mate. We're talking launches. $44, $40 million <laughs> launches. Yeah. And uh, they gave NASA a deal on um, reducing future costs. And uh, it's apparently made NASA very happy because they keep buying more launches, not lunches. Maybe because the other guys aren't quite ready yet. They started marketing them as launchables. They're a little cheaper. <laughs> Not lo- that's a very American joke. They're very small, high sodium content little uh, lunches that you could give your kids if you don't love them. And yeah. uh, they're very uh, easy to uh, open up and eat. Yeah, look it up. They're the, called the lunchables. Political, <laughs> the, the political climate works on their behalf as well because every yeah. time they send a package of stuff to be taken up to the ISS – to the Russians yeah. or to the Chinese, it just doesn't look so hot. And those big boys have been criticizing SpaceX, saying, oh, yeah, you can do it cheap, but can you do it reliably? The biggest problem for NASA in this particular case was the unfortunate, very important piece of equipment that they lost was that coupler, one of two couplers. Hatch. And now they have right. one left. So they got to really be like, this one has to make it. We don't yeah. have another one. And that is a coupler so they can attach different types of spaceships to the ISS. And and I think that a lot of the, again, the news cycle around this has been to degrade SpaceX. They're amateurs. Yeah. They don't know what they're doing. They're walking all over their rockets, which is causing them to break. That's BS because the people working at SpaceX yeah. are like the same people who are working for NASA right. and working for McDonnell Douglas. It's not like they no. dug some trolls up from underground and said, hey, do this. No, I'm pretty sure they went to a couple of high schools and say, anybody you know how to make a rocket that can go to space? Oh, you there. Okay, you're on. I think the high schools could still do a better job than what's been insinuating. Yeah, it's again, it's the it's the, the, the way you get clicks is everything's great or everything's bad. There's nothing in between. And this is like, rockets will blow up. Guess what? They're going to outer space and they have a lot of thrust. They're going to blow up. And they're big, big exploding devices that are not supposed to explode unexpectedly and so yeah. now we all know what a rud is yes a rud <laughs> yeah we dread the rud yeah. what's a rud please the rud so elon made this quote in, in he he's not calling it an explosion he's calling it a rapid unexpected disassembly <laughs> <laughs> i love it man. that's his nomenclature when they ask him about this that, partic- particular thing that is a very political robert correct. added the rud part which i think is genius but he's like no that wasn't an explosion I that was a fu- rapid unexpected disassembly of our of our uh, mechanism in a suborbital uh, atmospheric situation that's right. I, I love, love the terminology. That. I but don't fart. I just have rapid expansion of gases <laughs> at an inappropriate time. I mean, is that a, is that a rant? <laughs> 
Well, let's talk about Gigafactory. So this is from The Verge. Um, Elon is going Willy Wonka on this. So as you know, that they're about to... July 29th, the Gigafactory, they're going to have their grand opening. It's very exciting. Everybody who's anybody is going to be there. We're not going to be there. But he said 12 people randomly drawn, Model 3 reservation holders from that first day are going to get a chance. So therefore, Tom, you... And Robert, you and me, Mel, have a 1 in 12,500 chance of going to see this. So I got an email over the weekend that gives all three of us a much better chance. Did you guys get it? Did you, did you get it? Tesla Connect meeting? Tesla Connect, July 28th through 30th, where not in Fremont for no. a Fremont factory tour, in Reno, Nevada. What do you think the big ticket part of Tesla Connect's going to be? Any guesses, gentlemen? Robert? Ah, tour of the Giga Factory. Melvis? I'm so stupid I didn't even tell I'm like, <laughs> I don't want to go to Reno. What's in Reno? We uh, already have a room, don't we? We do indeed have a hotel room in Reno. So here's a timeout. Timeout to damn. friends who are listening to this podcast. <laughs> I need my shift Thursday night covered. Friends, please listen. So who wants Call to me? go to Reno to Tesla Connect now? Now they, I have to go. They've had two main speakers announced. One's a Tesla board member and a clean energy venture capitalist and someone is unannounced and the other person and we all know elon will be in town for this opening and then the other one is a lady who is the description i didn't write their names down she's a noted futurist with she's gonna i believe talk about artificial intelligence so it's very that could be cool. This so are we going to Tesla Connect, Melvis? We are now. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh, my guess is dear. that's what they're going to do, right? Like, wow. why would they not? I wouldn't absolutely expect it. I mean, there is some uh, animosity within the loving Tesla community yeah. between uh, you know various factions of groups and organizers and such. So there is a little bit of uncertainty to this, but I think that it's worth the shot. So, but do you think that Tesla Connect was just like mm, a lot of people are going to be up there? So this is the best location for our conference. I think it it probably. Uh, I can't get into the minds of the people who organize Tesla Connect but or TMC Connect, but it is very late to announce this. We were expecting an announcement in January yeah. or February. I thought that to was announce within a month of yeah. this thing going off is sort of the sign of a you know less than organized. But at the same time, they draw people from all over, and the people who yeah. attend are really Tesla. Uh, rabid Tesla fans. Yeah. So they'll come and there'll be people there from all over the world. Yeah. So it, it's always an exciting, a fun event to just get together with other people who are really excited about the technology. And I need to get tickets. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that might change your mind. Wow. There, big that's, fella. I don't know. Again, we don't know no if it's going to happen, but right? it's certainly you're not going to get to go if you don't go. Correct. Genius. Do you drive your Tesla? I just did. I looked at the calendar of the two things, and I was like, "Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Isn't that special? Isn't that fat?" And but the the TMC Connect is in a different resort than I have a room for. It's the only place in Reno with superchargers. I think they have three or four or something. So let's bring that up for a second. Then Um, you're going to have every Tesla driver in the history of the planet going to Reno. That's true. Driving. Mm -hmm. This is going to. it's going to stretch that uh, supercharger network. So yeah. it actually, it made me think I might just fly because every damn person is going to be driving up there and the yeah. superchargers are all going to be full. And How many superchargers problem. are there at the I uh, think they Giga said factory? It, I th- in the 
I don't know. That's actually good. Another yeah, I'm excellent sure question. Destination chargers there. We'll have to. But maybe the they're gate. not up. We'll up. be at the gate. Hello, excuse me. I'm almost out of charge, and either I'm parking my dead Tesla out here at your front gate, or you let me in and charge up a bit. And I, yeah. I won't look at anything. I won't walk around. I swear. Interesting. All right, uh, let's end this with uh, some letters. But first of all, I keep forgetting to say I bought an electric bicycle. Woohoo! Did it come? You bought an electric bicycle months ago. Did and you it actually came get it? Like three weeks ago. And I got to say, what? It is the bomb. Now, this is not an electric motorcycle. Is this it is an Oxenard? bicycle. It's here, and it's uh, one that doesn't drive by itself. You have to pedal, which is good because I thought if I got Always? one of those. Yeah. If I didn't get that, I would never do any exercise. I'd just drive around like a motorcycle. It is the greatest thing in the world. There's nothing like feeling like you're uh, from another planet. You go up the biggest hill you can find, and you just hit, give me some assist. Oh, no. Give me some more. No, no, give me all of it. (laughs) And just with a light pedaling, I'm flying up these hills at 20 miles an hour. Thank you very much. I've become a cyborg. I nice. Yeah, it's like you can feel like Lance Armstrong. Does it feel like a a mountain bike kind of a thing, or is it mostly a a road bike I got this hybrid mountain bike, and it's called a a high bike. I think it's Yamaha that makes them, actually. And it was $3,000. But first so world bike. Great. Good thing you're a doctor. <laughs> no well, I shit. thought this was ridiculously expensive. I've never bought a bike more than two hundred bucks. And then I was uh, talking to a friend of mine who's a real biker, who's a road racer. Yeah. And he goes, "Oh, three thousand. That's cute." And he shows me his bike, twelve thousand dollars. Yeah, but yeah. it's made from titanium. It's, no, it's made from helium because it's like, <laughs> it's one figure. Yeah, yeah. My son's bike is many, many thousands of dollars. And then he's like, well, I've got to have race wheels. And I said, what are race wheels? You mean just like two wheels? He's yeah, but look, and they were. As expensive as a bicycle for two wheels. Does he have that solid rear wheel for time trialing as well? That would be on a time trial bike, Tom, which he is also interested in, which is also like $6,000. And then there's also the track bike. So basically, my house is a bike store now. Does it? So he velodrome bikes as well as road yes. ra- or road bikes, or yeah, only well, velodrome bikes? Velodrome. What is the road? High, what is the highest end? So I mean, they must be twenty thousand dollars oh, racing. Easy. Oh yeah, easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. When you start adding all of the stuff and holy the, smoke, it can go beyond that. It's making yeah. that X look pretty cheap, Tom. That's right. And they're shaving like ten grams here and ten grams there. And I'm thinking, well, you better go to the bathroom before you get on it for a race because that's got to be at least. A hundred grams. Well, in my case, it's certainly more than that. Yep. Let's do some letters very quickly. So first of all, this one's from Martin Rowling. 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 And he said, Mel, there's no way you need a hundred kilowatt solar array. Now, there's a little bit of English uh, as a second language, I think, going on here, both in my case and in uh, Martin's case. I have a 15 kilowatt system which on its best days can get me about 100 kilowatt hours of energy. I think that's what he's referring to, right. though, is like you, have, you can produce 100 a day. I can produce 100 a day, but that's in the middle of summer under yeah. perfect circumstances. Mm-hmm. That's not what I get during the winter. I use about 30 on average, but in the summer when I'm charging two electric cars and the air conditioner is going all day because I live on the surface of the freaking sun, I can stay ahead but only just. So you, this is this problem with solar, right? If you want to have 100% replacement all year, you're making way more in the summer or in those peri summer months than you are in winter. Peri summer. What do you do with all that electricity? We're going to get to that in a minute. So I have a, a 15 kilowatt system and it does just about everything. Jim Higgs 
Um, Siggins is what this says. Okay, uh, I'll, I'll start. <laughs> I'll AKA stop, fat cat. <laughs> I'll stop saying the names. Thank you, Tom. If you could just read this. So a uh, quick summary of a fairly long letter that basically says you can get Teslas in Texas. We were sort of ripping on Texas. Saying That's you can awesome. Get them. You just have to buy them through California. You have to buy them in California, get it shipped out there, pay the appropriate taxes. At least Texas still gets the taxes. And they have some uh, sort of Tesla dealers out there, but they're just trying to make this a slicker, easier way to do it because this is a bit of a silly thing right now. Five service centers so there are definitely ways to get a, a, a thing and there are a lot of teslas in texas as well so. you know this just speaks to the fact that the automobile companies and by extension the dealerships are so behind the time like they are generations behind the time do they not think that owners and people who are interested in owning this new technology will not work around and then use social media to communicate how to do the work around and facilitate like overcoming these ridiculous laws yeah they're just trying to slow it down bro that's yeah. what they're trying to do they're like let's put the brake let's pump the brakes a little bit on tesla as we're going downhill and the guys in the big hats all over the texas dealerships were like let's just pump the brakes on them do as much as we can and slow these guys down interference interference right, right, right. interference the best uh what is it the best offense is a good defense gabe from portland says this no the best defense is is a strong offense. I don't. I think both of those work actually. Uh, Gabe, <laughs> Gabe from Portland Hi, says Gabe. um, Gabriel. Gabriel Aaron. Aaron. Down the bottom it says Gabe from Portland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gabe from Portland. Gabe from Portland said uh, another interesting mass way of storing energy from your solar and from all this stuff. Uh, we've talked about pumped hydro. This scared me. We've talked about uh, pulling heavy things up mountains. Mosquito coast. These people uh, reinvent power, are basically taking the excess energy and turning it into methane, and then you use the methane later to uh, burn and drive electric motors. Ammonia. Ammonia. Not methane? Ammonia. Okay, ammonia. Which um, you're concerned about because ammonia in the right form is incredibly explosive and can color blow up the whole world? Yeah, I don't think ammonia is not, is not good, right? It's not, no. it's not a great what, what substance. Was that? Oklahoma City? Yeah. That was made with ammonium nitrate, so yeah, fertilizer. But right that's now. what everybody says about anything that anything has energy. Dangerous, right? Is good blow up. They're all so, dangerous. It's an interesting theory, though, right? So they're they're taking the excess wind, using it to make hydrogen, and then binding that hydrogen with nitrogen to create ammonia, which can be stored safely, according to this letter, cheaply and transported easily, and then they can put that into gas turbines. So I guess is like what they're saying there is like natural gas power plants can burn this ammonia. My guess is it is cleaner because it is using power that otherwise would go to waste on some levels, and maybe it's better than the battery storage, which we're going to talk about in a little while because I did some mathematics on another letter. So I was concerned that the burning of ammonia results in carbon dioxide, but apparently it doesn't. So we'll we could definitely sure. read more about we'll this. I that, went on yeah. their website, and their website really does not have much information right. at it's all. It's a Facebook page, right? Yeah, or did you look on the Facebook page? Yeah, or the Facebook is there something page. Else? Yeah, I couldn't I find much of anything. But yeah, I mean, I don't we'll know. Look into it. We'll look into what how how ammonia is used currently. If it's used currently to fuel turbines, uh, Robert is holding up his computer screen, which nobody in the world can see on a radio show. Just talking about how making fertilizer is very energy intensive. Right, a fertilizer made with ammonia, and right. so this is all just a chemistry uh, a chemistry project and how do you take excess energy and store it efficiently yeah. in such a way that you could then either put it to good purpose like right. making fertilizer or release that energy later 
for energy production. The interesting thing about this, and uh, that's different from all the other systems we've talked about, the train system, right? Those are very locally used, right? So you can take a place like Oklahoma, for instance, right, that has a ton of wind, produce a ton of ammonia, and ship that ammonia out to other factories in California and right. in different places that can produce, burn the ammonia. So like that in and of itself is a is a sort of a difference maker in this particular model, right? Is that you can then move that energy easily, easier around easier. I like that. That's, that's not, not a, actually that's not a word. word. No. That could be a, that could but, be a but my guess too. is they're already moving ammonia on like rails all over the place. Cause I think I've actually seen an ammonia tank on a, on a train or yes. something. So Daniel uh, Nocera, who is the uh, professor of chemistry at MIT, that's his big thing. He's saying the way you yeah. really store energy is in chemical bonds. You can store an enormous amount of yeah. energy in chemical bonds, much more than batteries. Like a battery? So, right. But much more dense. So maybe this is a way to do that. We'll and transportable, right? Gas transportable through pipelines. Batteries aren't transportable through pipelines. So there's definitely, again, there's definitely, if this is clean and it, and it works, there are places in the world that are much windier than other places in the world and have produce way more energy than they would need, right? And this is what I was talking about in Maui, where they have tons of wind energy, the yeah. potential to make so much more than they need, but then to convert it into hydrogen, yeah. send that hydrogen over to Oahu, which doesn't have the capacity to meet its energy needs, yeah. and burn the hydrogen there. Right. And you can distribute in lo- local geographies yeah. energy. Much Which more efficiently, right. It yeah. would, I think it would be much more efficient. So, good letter. Thank you very much for that one. Les Howard writes this. Uh, the state of Georgia stopped its EV tax uh, credit, which we were talking about as one of the best ones. It was $5,000, and it exists no more, and Les is very sad. Sorry, yeah. Les. And now, we, now I can say to Tom, who quizzed us last episode, not any longer is Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't know. We'll see when the next report comes out, right? What do you think? Well, let's take a guess. Anybody have any bets on what, what state will be number two? We all know what state's going to be number uno. California. I say, I say Texas. Texas, even with the putting on the pump and the brakes and everything. Interesting. The Melvis. people will speak. Okay, David from New Orleans, but what's his last name? Urquhart. Urquhart. He says uh, this idea that we've been talking a lot about, um, take your car, slap the battery yeah. uh, on your house when your car's done being a car and you yeah. can use the battery. He says that the the Elon's um, little buddy there, what's his name? JB. Strobel. And I'm going to edit this audio in right now. And he says, um, uh, not so quick. So Mr. Strobel was asked two questions. One, why are you planning on recycling your batteries and not reusing them as home storage? And what about plugging your car in as part of a smart grid system? His answer to both of those is exactly the opposite of what we've been saying on the show. Every time we've studied this, we, we come to the conclusion that it's, it's not a very ac- economical or very good use of those, those assets. You know, by the time they come out of a, transport, out of a vehicle that's, that's lived its life, you know, the technology will be quite old. You know, we expect 10, maybe 15-year life at a minimum from these batteries. And you know the, the degradation is not not entirely linear. You know by the end of their life, you know the efficiency has degraded. On every cycle, you see lower efficiency. Um, the capacity will have somewhat degraded. Um, and for a lot of reasons, you know it, it makes it very difficult to deploy those efficiently back into a grid setting where you want high reliability and you do want predictability. So you know my view is that we'll see you know new batteries dedicated to that market. Um, that also have slightly different characteristics. They should have higher cycle life. In an electric vehicle that has, you know, 200-plus miles of range, 
you don't need as many cycles as you do on a battery that's designed to charge and discharge every single day on the grid. You know, there's perhaps about a factor of four or five difference in the cycle life. So, so that's one aspect. Um, to your second question about you know, using vehicles as a, as a buffer for renewable energy, you know, this is definitely something that, that's coming. And I think there's, there's two ways to implement this. The, the first is to use dynamic charging. And this is essentially you know, intelligently commanding when the vehicles absorb their energy from the grid you know, to match up with when you have renewable energy you know, available or cheap. You know, this is something we can do very, very easily with just essentially software and controls. We don't have to change any of the hardware, and there's no additional uh, regulatory or certification work needed. It's just essentially controlling the timing of when something would otherwise happen. If we want to actually send energy back from the car to the electricity grid, this gets much more complex. And you know, that's something that I don't see being a, a, a very economic or viable uh, solution in, in perhaps ever, but certainly not in the near term. You know, the additional wear and tear and degradation on your vehicle battery you know, has a fairly high cost. And many of the people and small businesses looking at this today you know, don't take into account fully that degradation cost um, and also the additional inter, you know, interconnection cost. Because if you interconnect your vehicle, you do have new regulations that, that play a part. It has to interconnect in the same way that a solar system would on someone's home or on a business, which have different standards so that they can protect line operators and, and people on the grid. That's the guy. He's one of the founders of Tesla. In fact, he brought, Elon, yeah, he brought Elon together with uh, the guys who made the first EV car that we talked about that was, you know, fast was kind of sexy looking. It was unproducible, but it was JB who basically put this all together and he didn't have the money. Elon did. And maybe that's why Elon's getting so much more of the credit. But JB is a fantastic yeah. uh, cog in this wheel that is putting us into the future. Uh, what's this guy's name? Deva Michael? Deva Mike, Michael, yes. He goes, that's, uh, that's you guys right. live in California and you're talking about how Tesla Powerwall is a stupid thing. Yeah. Summary of this letter is, uh, in other places where the electricity goes off a lot and uh, you have to have gasoline-powered, diesel-powered backups, they stink, they're expensive. He wants a Tesla Powerwall, he wants to use his solar, and he's saying, um, just because in California it may not make sense to you, to him it makes a lot of sense, even if it's a 20-year payback. The the idea that the Powerwall could be useful in climates outside of Southern California is something really important to consider. And Schneider says uh, this ethics of killing puppies and children versus yourself in an autonomous vehicle is very interesting. We should have some legal experts weigh in on that, like who's going to get sued for what, because right. he brings up a number of scenarios where he no does. matter what you do, somebody's getting sued. Yeah. So uh, we will get a legal expert on this. There is a lot of discussion about this as we're moving closer to that technology. Right. And finally, from Michael Sullivan, he says, um, you know, we talked about you – know, the Mandalay Bay and these uh, big Vegas <laughs> casinos could have these big solar arrays and uh -huh. with the excess energy during the day, I suggested that maybe they could put hydraulics on the Mandalay Bay and make it lift up a few hundred feet in the air <laughs> yeah. and then come down. <laughs> he goes, that's a great idea. Eyes rolling. <laughs> I don't know what you're saying, Michael. Um, but uh, maybe they could just use the Teslas that are plugged in at the Mandalay Bay as that excess energy storage and then ask for some uh, energy back, maybe 75 miles from it. But we've just heard from this little video that maybe – 
taking energy from cars may not be the most efficient way to do it. Well, not the most efficient way to do it. Mandalay Bay wouldn't be able to count on that because how many Teslas at any given time could be two on Monday and 22 on Friday. So it's kind of all over the place for them. So and is it back to le- elevating the Mandalay Bay? Yeah, back we're to back to that. Yeah, you. we're going to raise it up and then all evening just slowly drop. Or maybe they could just down. have big anhydrous uh, ammonium tanks yes. out back that they're filling up and then every so often they blow one up to bring all the spectators yeah. in. Mandalay Bay is going to turn into like a Mississippi gambling cruise, right? Where you can't get off for six <laughs> hours. <laughs> if it blows up though, what's it called? What's it, what do anyone call that? If uh, Rapid, un- un- well, this would be a rapid planned uh Disassembly. Yeah, they could have like people would show RPD. up like the Bellagio fountain waters and be like, "Ooh, it's the daily ammonia burn at Mandalay Bay." <laughs> <laughs> oh, and on that note, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're going to end it. His name was Tom. Uh, that's Robert. My name is Mel. And just stay tuned because right now, the best podcast in the history of the world, called Shabam, Episode Five, all about electricity, is about to commence. You're going to love it, I swear. Shabam! It's awesome. So I said this is going to be a short show. Uh, Not that short, actually. All right, so Shabam. Shabam is a science podcast, and it is very highly produced with lots of experts and lots of actors, and it's like, I can tell you, nothing you've ever heard before. Now, I want to play for you in this episode of Talking Tesla, the fifth episode. And the scenario here is we've got a group of kids. These kids have been separated from their parents, and it's at the beginning of a zombie apocalypse, and we're teaching uh, science, we're teaching where water comes from, we're teaching about uh, epidemiology and infectious disease, and I think you're really going to love this. The type of people that listen to Talking Tests are really going to love this podcast, so you can either just keep listening now, or even better, and Robert really suggested this as a new listener himself, go back and listen from the beginning of this podcast, Shabam, S-H-A-B-A-M, because it's serialized. We're up to episode five. We're going to do about eight or nine episodes in this first season. And it's really a story that follows through over time with these kids. So that's the smartest thing to do. But otherwise, if you're lazy and you just want to hear about electricity in a fun environment of kids trying to get back to mum and dad in the middle of a zombie apocalypse, here it is. Shabam, episode five. It's Shabam, sponsored in part by Google. So where did we leave off? Last episode, the power went out. Whoa, the whole block is out now. And Nadine, Elliot, and Owen are spending the night in the dark. (sighs) Nothing. Do you have a flashlight that actually works? That works. It just needs batteries. Really? Where does Mom keep the batteries? We should try the basement. There might be candles down there, too. And maybe some glow sticks. I think we used all of the glow sticks. For what? Uh... Whoa! Elliot! Were you doing the glow stick dance again? Shut up, Owen! Okay, <laughs> let that one go for now. We can use our phones as lights, so let's keep looking in the kitchen. Yeah. We'll look in the basement tomorrow morning, assuming the power isn't back on. Light at night is a luxury that we, and I'll say it together, totally take for granted. Because nowadays it's normal to be doing stuff when it's dark outside. Like studying, or going shopping, or being at the club. Or just sitting at home with the lights on. Mel grew up in the middle of nowhere. Uh, did you guys have lights at night, Mel? I grew up in a tiny little place called Tulibuck, Australia. My parents used night vision goggles to read us bedtime stories. Did you have light at night? Uh, yes, I did. Even though it was the 1960s and it was Australia, there was electricity. But it was all inside the house. If you walked outside the house, there were no streetlights. It was pitch black and you could see 
the entire Milky Way. It was spectacular. Maybe spectacular, but the Milky Way doesn't only give us a lot of light. The lights that let us see stuff at night are brought to you by... Electricity. Electricity. And the way we get our electricity is through the largely underappreciated power grid. Hello there. Because when we turn things on in the kitchen, we don't really think about where the power is coming from. Nobody thinks about it. Okay, thank you. There are tons of things in our house that we turn on, like computers and TVs. But there's also plenty of things that use electricity in the background. And these are the very things we seem to forget about until the power goes out. Salami... Yogurt, applesauce. Hmm. Elliot, close the door. You're going to let all the cold out. Actually, we're letting the heat in. A machine that keeps things cold is fantastic. Right now is a wonderful time to buy a 2-in-1 refrigerator food freezer. Because it means you don't have to buy food every day. This holds 70 pounds of frozen food. And you don't need to worry about keeping big blocks of ice in your house. Or getting ice delivered by rail car from the north. Which is what you had to do before fridges. If you didn't have a fridge, you just had to eat the food before it went bad. We didn't have all this storage space in the door. Without getting into the details of how a fridge works... Come on, that's the best part! The key component of the fridge is the compressor, which pumps fluid around the pipes in your fridge. And it can do this because inside it's got a little propeller thingy connected to another thing that turns. You mean a motor? Yes! And to find out why the motor was crucial to electrifying our world, we have to go back in time to the 1870s. It's the 1870s. Beards are in. And for women, it's corsets. If you could afford them. And, of course, long, poofy dresses. Surgeons operated with their bare hands without sterilising their equipment. Electricity, well, it was pretty new. It was only being used in a few places for outdoor lighting at night. And not street lamps, but really bright spotlights that were put on the top of towers so that you could light up entire neighbourhoods from above. If you wanted to get into the electricity business, this was the right time because there were lots of places to sell your goods to. There were two particular inventors and businessmen with very different ideas on how to sell electricity. Thomas Edison and George Westinghouse. Since the only electrical lights that existed were huge outdoor spotlights that used tons of electricity, Edison's idea was to create smaller lights that would be used inside your house. Westinghouse, however, was thinking bigger. Westinghouse, from the get-go, was very clear that it was going to be some combination of electricity for both light and power. That's Bernie Carlson, professor of engineering history at the University of Virginia. Most power stations only operated at night when there was demand for electric lighting. The idea that you would run the power station all day, every day, was only something you're going to do once you had demand for it. Westinghouse wanted there to be demand for power during the day as well, so he could make more money. So what was going to use that power? Well, if you're going to use lots and lots of power by day, you need a motor. And you need a motor that you can put into elevators or to run machines in a factory or run streetcars. Factories are key because they make stuff. Now you can do things like drill holes, turn lathes, pump pistons without relying on steam. Because with steam, you need coal, water and a big boiler. But with motors, you just need, well, electricity. And since then, electrical factory machines with motors have been churning out the parts that go into virtually everything around us. And they built everything from refrigerators, from microwave ovens, air conditioners, furnaces and stoves. Exactly. And these things. Did you just go to the toy store and press, like, all the buttons that you could find? 
Yes, because electricity. And because they're all made in factories. Toys, clothes, electronics, furniture, it's all made in factories that use electricity. It's pretty difficult to find anything in your life that exists without electricity. Kittens! Actually, pet stores get cats from cat breeders who use computers and electric lights. And if you bought a cat from a pet store, it's probably spayed or neutered, which is surgery requiring electric medical Anyway, devices. electricity is part of our infrastructure. Take hospitals, for instance. The machines that we use to scan you to find out what's wrong with you, they use electricity. The machines that we use to monitor your vital signs to keep you alive, they use electricity. The lights, the air conditioning, everything requires electricity. Also, in the case of an epidemic, say, like the Knox virus outbreak, hospitals use pressurised fans in special airtight isolation rooms to keep the pathogens in. So, if the power grid that gives power to hospitals suddenly goes down... A lot of people are suddenly at risk, which is why hospitals usually have backup generators to keep the lights on and equipment running. Usually, these generators run on diesel fuel that's stored in tanks. But let's say somebody forgot to fill those tanks with diesel. Like in the case of the 1994 earthquake at a particular hospital I was working out, and when they went to turn on the generators, no fuel, no go, no electricity. So what actually happened? Did, did You just didn't have any electricity? We pulled the cars into the parking lot, put them in a circle and turned on the lights and brought patients that were sick out into that circle where we could see them, did resuscitations and then called for ambulances to take people away. Oh my God. And the rest, what about the patients in the rest of the hospital? They were alive. They were brought out and started to transfer to other hospitals. Oh my God. And the NICU has this little towel thing with pockets and the nurses come down and they've got babies in these pockets that they can run down <laughs> with like six babies on them. In pockets. In baby pockets. That's amazing. <laughs> See, this is the thing. You never think about the power grid until it goes down and you're out of electricity. Nobody thinks about uh, it. Yeah, okay, we know. All right, everyone stay calm. I need some help in room As it happens, in back in our Knox virus world, the head of St. Barth Hospital in Los Angeles has discovered that they have the very same problem. Wait. All the tanks are empty? So now without backup power, the hospital is dark and getting hot without the air conditioners running. In this situation, people in quarantine and isolation are probably going to try and get outside, no matter what. You know, it looks like chaos down there. There's uh, multiple crowds of people streaming out of the hospital. But that hospital is miles away from our kids, who are safe at home, asleep in the living room. Which means this is a perfect opportunity to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about how electricity is not just in the power grid. When do I get a chance to talk? Now we're going to play a short excerpt from the new zombie musical, Zombie and Me. I'm infected. He's infected. It's so good. I'm infected. He's infected. I got bit on my shoulder and it would not go away. It's not Hamilton, but, you know, you should go see it if you have a chance. It's great costumes. I'm infected. Anyway, we're back. Uh, okay. All right, so before the break, we talked about how the power grid gives us electricity to run the world we live in. And since the kids are still sleeping, this is a great time to talk about what electricity actually is and how it's not just in the power grid. Oh, man, I was going to say something. Thanks to Ben Franklin, who threw some keys into a thunderstorm 250 years ago, we know that electricity exists in nature, like in the form of lightning. He also came up with a way of describing electricity that we still use today. What is electricity exactly? Okay, so you're familiar with the concept of charged particles? Okay, I'll take that as a no. Well, let's start off with the parts of an atom. Inside the atom, you've got protons and neutrons. That's the nucleus. And buzzing around on the outside are electrons. These are particles. Neutrons are neutral, so forget about them. Protons are positively charged. 
and electrons are negatively charged, and they hang out together and form an atom. And the reason they do this is because negatively charged particles are attracted to positively charged particles and vice versa. It's these charges that are key to electricity. Now imagine a room where one wall is positively charged and the opposite wall is negatively charged. Now imagine putting one of these charged particles into this room. If the particle is negatively charged, it's going to be pulled towards the positive wall. If it's a positive particle, the negative wall is going to suck it in. Oh my God, what is electricity? Electricity is the movement of charge. In between the walls of this room is what we call an electric field. Wherever there's an electric field will be electricity because this field forces the movement of charges. Once you drop a charge in there, it moves and you've got electricity. You can also think of these fields as big slopes. If you try and put a ball on a slope, it will roll down. This happens because the Earth's gravitational field pulls things down. The electrical field that pulls on charges does the same thing. And just like the world is full of slopes that things can roll down, like hills and toboggan runs, the world is full of electric fields that charges can move through. And because atoms that make up the world are constantly mixing and losing electrons, borrowing electrons, there are all these charges moving around all the time. So you could say that the world is full of electricity. You can find electricity in all kinds of places. I'd like you to meet a friend of mine. Joe is commonly called an electric eel. Electric eels are a special case because they have special cells that can produce a lot of electricity, which they use to shock prey or stupid people who pick them up. Hey, little buddy, the slippery little... <laughs> Actually, a lot of organisms use electricity. Remember the brain from episode one? We're connected! <laughs> your brain pilots your nervous system, which is really just a complex network of electrical signals moving messages back and forth. And all this electrical signaling is continuous, even when you're asleep. Hey, can I hang out at your place until my dad gets off work? Even though Elliot is sleeping... His brain is really active with all of its electricity, doing things like dreaming. Were you doing the glow stick dance? Shut up! And sorting through all the events of the day. And telling him when to wake up. (sighs) Owen, what are you doing with my phone? Nothing. Give me it. God. Were you looking at pictures of mom and dad? No. What did you do? I was just looking. It's at ten percent. Me? You were the one using the flashlight all night. Oh God! Is it like this every morning? Huh? What, what do, do you mean? mean? These electrical impulses are also what enables your brain to do all kinds of things at once, like breathing and thinking about what to say next in a conversation. Never mind. Still no signal. I take it. Yeah. The power's still out. And my phone is almost dead. This is really bad. The good news is there's still pizza left. Those electrical impulses are also why you taste pizza, feel pain, and recognize sarcasm. Yeah, right. It's all with electricity. In fact, measuring electrical activity in the brain is one way we can tell if you're actually alive. So your body is a complex, coordinated organic machine that has its own electrical system, and it creates this electricity through the movement of charges. Sound familiar? Yeah, that sounds like me. Uh, All right, okay, come on, enough. 
Compared to the electricity that runs the world we live in, the electricity in your nervous system that keeps you alive is way weaker. That's why it can be easily disrupted by larger amounts of electricity, like from the power grid, or a taser, or the power of Zeus. So the world is full of electricity. It runs everything around us, and it's even inside us. But there's another important electrical device that changed the industrialized world forever. And that also got invented in the 1800s. Here we go. As we mentioned earlier, by the 1800s, all sorts of engineers and inventors around the world were messing with electricity, trying to harness these charges to do stuff like turn motors and make light. And around the same time, various people had discovered that if you have the right kinds of metals and you put them together, electrons will flow from one metal to the other. So if you separate the metals in a special way, you can get these electrons to sit in one metal waiting to move into the other. And the modern battery was born. Here's what I got. Slim pickings. Batteries are a way of bringing power around with you when you don't have access to the grid. And that's exactly what Nadine and the boys have been scrounging around the house looking for all day. Okay. Here's what I got. A car battery? Well, we only found two glow sticks, Elliot. (laughs) Shut up. You guys don't have candles, and we only have one flashlight. I figure we might as well think big. Meaning what exactly? Meaning I'm not sitting around in the dark all night again. Owen, do you guys have any Christmas lights? Yes. You can't run Christmas lights with a car battery. Can you? No, you can't. Yes, we're surrounded by things that use electricity, but that doesn't mean that you can just plug one thing into the other. In fact, right now, the power grid and the stuff that uses the power grid is a bit of a mess. Uh, what do you mean I'm a mess? We're going to take a little break, and when we come back, we'll find out why it's a mess and why we don't notice that it's a mess. I've got an idea. What is it? Let's use a taser. Another great part of the musical is when they use a taser to escape the metro tunnel. Oh, the undead will get a shot when we rock. Anyway, it's, it's not Hamilton. Again. All right, so before the break, we talked about how electricity is the movement of charge and how there are charges moving around everywhere, even in our bodies. We also mentioned that the electricity in the power grid is a bit of a mess. To understand why it's a mess, first we have to understand how electricity works. So here's electricity in its simplest terms. Think of a pipe with water flowing through it. The charges that move through a wire are like water molecules moving through a pipe. You can have water that's under high pressure or low pressure. You can have a lot or a little. Electricity is described in similar ways. The voltage describes how much energy these charges have. Think of it like water pressure. And the amperage describes how many of these charges are flowing through a wire at once. Think of that like how far open you have the tap. So, low voltage and low amps means small amount of charges with low energy versus high voltage and high amps, which is a lot of charges with a lot of energy. 
So here's where it starts to get messy. The electricity supplied by the power grid and the electricity used by all the things that we run off the power grid are of all different amps and voltages. They just don't work together. If you give a motor that needs 20 amps of current only one amp, it'll just sit there because there aren't enough charges to make the motor turn. And if you give 700,000 volts to a device that can only use 12 volts, well, you'll blow it out because each charge carries way too much energy. Which is why you don't want to put your fingers into a wall socket. The amount of energy in your home's electrical system is way more than your organic electrical system can handle. It can actually kill you because the nerves that run your heart can get overloaded and they can stop the heart from beating. And just like our biological systems, if the amount of pressure or volts in the power grid isn't regulated, it can blow up the stuff that we plug into it. You may be asking, why not just have everything run on the same voltage? That would make things easier. Well, first of all, some things just need more energy than others. A power drill needs more energy than a wall clock. I mean, it's a drill. It's drilling. Look at all that stuff it's doing. Mm, I'm going to drill through this board. Ah. Wall clock's just sitting there. What are you doing? Oh, I made a beep. So, you need to be able to accommodate different voltages for different devices. Which brings us to this. Ever heard of ACDC? Of course I have. It's one of Australia's biggest bands from the 70s and 80s and even today, Josh. Who made that fantastic song? Thunderstruck. Exactly. This is not that song. No, but it's a cover of that song by an Australian punk rocker who plays a flaming bagpipe named the Bad Piper. What exactly does this have to do with electricity? Nothing. But ACDC does. There's two different ways that electrical charges can flow through wires. One. DC, or direct current, is when the charges flow in one direction. Two. Alternating current, or AC, is when the charges alternate directions many times a second. And the reason we have AC goes back to the need for different voltages. Only with alternating current can you easily manipulate the voltage. And that's key if you're distributing power with the power grid. Here's why. Your house gives you relatively low voltage. Power plants generate high voltage. Power plants are usually far away from your house, so you need miles and miles of wire to get from there to you. And to make the trip, the electricity in those wires needs to be at super high voltage. With AC, now you can easily transform high voltage to low voltage with something called a transformer. <laughs> no, they're basically coils of wire and they don't have a theme song. They're just coils of wire. All right, so it goes like this. The high voltage that gets generated at the power station gets stepped up to super high voltage for the power lines. And then at the end of the power lines, the voltage gets stepped down at your city. Remember from the last episode when the kids were watching the news about a helicopter crashing into the Alhambra substation? A substation is where the electricity from the super high voltage lines gets stepped down for distribution in your neighborhood. After that, it gets stepped down again. So now you get the low voltage at your home. And this is only possible with AC. So we're done, right? Let's just make everything AC. Well, unfortunately you can't. First of all, any device with electronic circuits in it has to run on DC. Now, we're not going to get into why exactly. Oh, come on! But it has to do with how electricity is used to create those digital signals we talked about in the last episode. And the second reason we use DC is that anything that uses a battery has to be DC. A battery works because charges flow from one side of the battery to the other in one direction which is DC. And that's why we have all kinds of devices that change electricity around. Transformers change voltage, inverters and converters change AC to DC, and that's how power from the wall can be used to run a computer 
or power from a battery can be used to run Christmas lights. You're going to build something that changes the battery power into wall power? Well, it could, but it'd take me a couple of hours. I need to go get my soldering iron. Why do we need to do that when someone else already built what we need? Of course. The AC adapter for the car. Nerds. Nerds. They're saying adapter, but they actually mean inverter. Yeah, but everybody says adapter. You mean the little thing when you plug it into the cigarette lighter in your car, but nobody actually uses cigarette lighters in their cars anymore, so it's only used for electricity? That thing? Yes. Yes. That's an inverter. That's an adapter. Oh. Yep. All we need to do is open up the adapter connect the battery to this part that usually goes in the cigarette lighter, and then plug in the lights. Brilliant. Uh, Okay. Inverters, converters, transformers, or what people call adapters, are an essential part of our electric world because it's how we deal with this mess of different forms of electricity. Here we go. Yeah! 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 Woo! It's like a planetarium party. Not to sound negative, but why not just plug in a lamp or something? Um, first of all, these look awesome. You're welcome. Second, the Christmas lights are LEDs, so they don't use as much power as the regular lamps. We'll have light for longer this way. And when the battery runs out? At that point, the power will probably be back on, and we won't need it. The reason why Nadine thinks that is because the U.S. power grid system is actually pretty reliable. Even though parts of it are still really old. We rely on the power grid because we have become dependent on electricity. And when we go off the grid, like when we go camping, we take the essential electric devices with us, like phones and flashlights, and we use batteries to keep them going until we're back on the grid. Very few people in the U.S. truly live off the grid. It's Mr. and Mrs. Dixon. It looks like they're going camping. Thank God you're okay. We're fine. Gina! Uh, We haven't seen them in three days. They were downtown when the curfews went into effect. Grab your stuff. You guys are coming with us. They told us to stay here and wait for them. It's not safe here. No matter what. We assume they've been trying to get here, but... Haven't you been listening to the radio? Ugh, no. We're packing the car and leaving. Mom said we just stay here. We have room for you. Can we have a minute? Sure. I think we should go with them. We can't. I'm with Owen. We can't just keep eating fruit snacks and dried spaghetti. I think it's stupid to stay here. What if we leave and then mom and dad get here and they can't find us? We'll leave a note. Saying we went where? Good point. Thanks for the offer, but we think we're going to stay here. Okay. Stay inside and don't open the door to anyone you don't know. Sure. We'll find a way of contacting your parents once we're at the nearest safe zone. Here. Take these boxes of cereal and a gallon of water. Try to ration it. Okay, we will. So, the power grid is great when it's working. And usually when something breaks, it gets fixed. In our little world, the power won't be coming back online anytime soon because the epidemic is spreading fast and people have other things to worry about. Which means the kids spend another day on their own without power. But thanks to Nadine's contraption, they're not in the dark anymore. And the next night... The whole block is dark except for us. Really? We're the only ones with light. Hey, isn't that Mrs. Krasinski? There's a curfew. Why is she just standing in the street? Maybe she's drunk. I don't think she's drunk. Hey, Mrs. Krasinski. Uh, Owen? Does your phone work? Go back inside. Why? Nadine, turn off the Christmas lights and hand me the glow sticks. Okay. Listen, do not open this door for anyone until I come back. Wait, where are you going? Elliot! Did you go to our house? You can't just leave and not tell us what's going on. Stop, guys. Stop. Whatever that was, 
It's not Mrs. Krasinski. What do you mean? I mean the snarling and biting. The real Mrs. Krasinski doesn't act like that, nor would she get distracted by glow sticks. And the lights need to go off now. We need help. The kids are learning quickly. The Christmas lights seem to be attracting zombies. So instead, they're using the battery power to plug in a radio. Come on! Broadcast radio doesn't use a cell phone network or the internet. Radio waves go directly from the station to the antenna on your radio. So if they have power to transmit and you have power to receive, you still get a signal. Remain calm and wait for further instructions from authorities. We need to call the police or something. You mean like with smoke signals? The call boxes. What? The emergency call boxes. There's one two blocks away at that transit lot. Yeah. Maybe they're still working. Fine, but we're going together. No more splitting up. In the morning. So the same holds true for CB radios that cops and truckers use. And a lot of the emergency call boxes that you see along highways and in parking lots work that way as well, completely bypassing the modern communication networks. So the next morning... There it is. They're answering. Hi, this is Owen Walker, and we can't get a hold of our parents. Okay, Owen, uh, first thing, you need to get inside. Uh, lock your doors. Don't let anyone in. Try and block our windows. Uh, help us on the way. What's your address? 83785, what? Hello? Hello? Don't let go of the button. I didn't. Great. They said help was coming soon. Yeah, but when is soon? Is that before or after our batteries run out? Well, then we'll just have to borrow more batteries. Like from Mrs. Krasinski? Wait. We don't need to borrow power. We can make it. What are you talking about? What's this phone connected to? A pole. Yeah, what's on top of the pole? Solar panels! So far, we've talked about getting power from the grid. And when that's down, using batteries instead. But eventually, batteries run out of juice. And it just so happens that the Earth is bathed in free energy every single day. Brought to you by the sun! It's free! Solar panels are pretty common these days. But there are other ways to harvest free energy. You might have noticed that we like going back in time to explain how things used to be. This time we're going to look to the future, specifically the future of creating electricity. Someday maybe you'll be able to charge your phone by just putting it in your pocket. That's Francisco Suarez. He works for a research group called Advanced Self-Powered Systems of Integrated Sensors and Technologies, or ASSIST. And just like solar panels harness the free energy of the sun, here at the University of North Carolina, the ASSIST teams are working on harnessing other sources of free energy. Now, Francisco's not really working on a phone that you can charge in your pocket, because that's far off into the future. But he is part of a team that is working on devices you can put on your skin that use your body heat to make electricity. Uh, yes, exactly. Uh, the devices are called uh, thermoelectric generators. Instead of creating an electrical field like a battery or generator does, the devices that the assist people are working on take advantage of tiny electrical fields that already exist and are just waiting to be used. Whenever you have a temperature difference uh, across a material, where, like one side is hot and one side is cold, whatever it may be, it may be a block of wood, it may be a metal, there will always be an associated voltage or a potential difference. So the voltage or potential difference is the electric field. And these devices sit on your skin, one side touching your skin, which is warm, and the other side exposed to the air, which is cool. And the thermal harvesters use this temperature difference to create an electric field that can now be used to run small medical devices. To think of a world where these devices like that can be completely self-powered, that's the part that's really exciting to me. How can we make these work indefinitely, you never have to charge it, and use your body as the battery. So with the right materials and the right electronics, you can actually steal power 
from yourself. But that's in the future. So if the grid's down and you're in the middle of a zombie apocalypse, you might have to steal a solar panel off of a call box. Dude, you need to work out. You want to climb up here and do it? I think someone's coming. Where? Over there behind that minivan. Elliot, pick up the pace. He's getting closer. Got it. Grab those wires and yank them out of the pole. We have to go now. <sighs> Elliot! But will the kids make it? Next time on Shabam. Shabam is produced by CeCe Herbert. They laughed, I cried, it was back and forth, it was amazing. Only fabulous, only fabulous. wonderful, what a great time. <laughs> Your hosts Mel Herbert, Josh Kurz, and Wendy Roderweiss also created the show. Brilliant musicians, fabulous singers, and the dancers I've not seen before. Recording engineer mixmaster is Bill Connor. Our voice actors are Rose Sengenberger, Chase Zawalinski, Steve Santucci, Summer Austin, Art Kimbrough, and Dr. Jess Mason. Uh, we have an incredible cast. I think maybe the best cast we've ever had. Special thanks to Professor Bernie Carlson, Francisco Suarez and the assist team, and our science advisor, Professor Jonas Mareka, also featuring the musical stylings of Luke Pochask, Evil J, St. Cecilia, and Jimmy Metherill. Shabam is a production of Fully Boo Incorporated. Why does the taser work if they're already dead? It's a musical. It it's a musical. You enjoy the music. This episode of Shabam is sponsored in part by the making and science team of Google. Uh-huh. And why is that? Because Google loves science. Hey, Shabammers. Like the show and want to get the word out? Here's what you can do. Go to iTunes and click on those stars and give us a rating. And if you could, leave a comment. This would help out a lot. Have you enjoyed the show? And we've been... Talking. 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 Talking.